Now, Ephesians 3. Ephesians chapter 3. If you guys remember how it's broken in half that these first three chapters are really talking about the riches that we have in Jesus Christ, right? And then after this is going to be, uh, 4 through 6 is going to be all the scriptures on how we do we apply those riches. And so we're almost there. We're going to have, I think it's, I have tonight, and then next week we'll finish up chapter 3, and then we'll start getting into what it means and how to use those riches. But tonight it talks a little bit more about those riches and the mystery revealed. Now you guys know, have that, probably have that title there. It says, uh, I know in mine, it says mysteries revealed, and then above verse 8 it says purpose of the mystery. And so we're going to be talking a lot about the mystery tonight. So, as we go through it, there's one part that I really thought inter- it was interesting just to start it off with, is that Paul in Ephesians mentions to these guys twice that he's a prisoner, that he's in prison, which is an interesting thing because usually as, as, as a person that has authority and a person that's thought of as, as being uh, uh, one of the ones to look to, uh, you wouldn't want a, a, a person in prison to look to. And so why would he write that in his letter to tell them, hey, I'm a prisoner? It's just usually you don't, t- you don't talk about that kind of thing. I don't know if you guys have, you probably have, fan, you know, maybe you have some family members or there's somebody else, but as soon as you hear their next con, you're like, okay, we're going to be careful. <laughs> watch out. <laughs> we're going to watch what's going to happen. And not to say that everybody's just so evil as they come out, but it's just one of those things that goes along with being in prison. You know, and so here's Paul, a guy that he's giving them all this letter and he's talking about these things of God. And you would think automatically, well, what is a man of God doing in prison? I mean, what did he do to offend God that God would put him in there? If Paul's such a powerful voice and God, you know, such a handy tool in God's hands, why in the world is he in some prison and not out there still evangelizing? There's just a lot of questions that would come up. And so it's interesting that Paul brings that up and he puts it in his letter to the Ephesians and telling them that he's a prisoner. But what he talks about, if you guys look at in the very first verse that we're going to go through, it says, for this reason, in, in chapter 3, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. And then later on, he says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, he says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. In both of these instances, he's not saying, hey, I am Paul of, or I'm a prisoner of Rome, right? He doesn't go there with it. He doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Jews, because that's one of the main reasons he was there. You know, there's not any other reason except for that he points it to Jesus Christ, which nowadays is kind of like, okay, some churches are teaching that if you're going to be with Jesus, no problems happen. No jail time with Jesus. <laughs> you know, one of those things. But we know that there's going to be things going on, and when Paul gets into this letter, and into this chapter of this letter, he's really going to talk about you know, hey, I'm a prisoner, but it's of Christ Jesus. The reason I'm here is because this is where Christ has me right now. This is where I'm ministering. And he says it's for you guys. It's for you Gentiles, and it's for us. It even extends to us, and we'll get into the later, later part of tonight's study and how it even extends to us, but I thought it was interesting that a guy would want to put that in his letter and tell these people he's ministering to that, hey, I am a prisoner. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, <laughs> I'm a prisoner. Um, but it was awesome where he pointed it to, and he points it to the work of the Lord. And then he goes on and he talks about this mystery, and this mystery being one of those things that that's why he is a prisoner, is because of this awesome mystery that's been given to him that he's supposed to give out to other people and show them what this mystery is. And so before we read it all, let's go to the Lord. 
Lord, we do just want to see what you have to say to us in these scriptures. Um, and Lord, I just want you to speak tonight, please. You know, my, my mind is all mixed up, and, and uh, just some of the things that the words <laughs> haven't come out very clearly, even as I talked with my wife earlier. So Lord, I ask you to just clear my mind and, and uh, just help me physically, Lord, to be able to speak your word and that it wouldn't be about me at all. And that you just teach us, Lord, we want to hear your word. We want to hear your counsel that you have to give us in this awesome mystery. And uh, in the end, Lord, we just want to praise you. We want to give you the glory and honor you deserve because of this mystery that you've given us. I mean, you know, we could have been born back in the Old Testament times and not even known about this mystery. And it's just a neat thing, Lord, that you've chosen us to be in this time. And Lord, I ask that we would be able to spend these lives that you've given us as great stewards of yours, Lord. That we would not take these... uh, you know, these years that we're here uh, for granted, Lord, that it would be paid back, and, and Lord, that we could glorify you with these, these lives that you've given us and this new life that you've given us. And so, Lord, just teach us through your scriptures and show us the significance of this mystery tonight, Lord. And uh, Lord, we want to glorify you and praise you. And in your name we pray, amen. So let's go ahead and read through. Um, we're going to do verses 1 through 13 tonight, so we'll read through all of them because there's some of the things, that the topics that I have that kind of... Uh, bleed over into the other topics, and then we'll go back to the verses. So I want you guys to get the whole first, and then we'll start breaking it down. So it says, For this reason, verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been uh, revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God uh, given to me by the effective working of his power. In verse 8, To me, who am less than the least of all of the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord." in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And then when we go into these verses, I really liked how, and I don't usually do this, but sometimes when you read a commentary, it's pretty cool how they break things down. And so I am robbing this. Just coming out. I'm robbing this from Wearsby, okay? So if you guys go back and like, dang it, I could have just read this instead of listened to Curtis. <laughs> I didn't go verbatim on it, but he had some great points. He ha- I loved how he broke it down. And so that's what we're going to kind of follow in what uh, the Lord pointed out to Wearsby. And so how Wearsby points this out and how he goes into it is he's talking about the significance and what significance these, this mystery has to four different groups of people. And so that's what we're going to end up going through tonight and just seeing what significance does this have. And so the first one, if you guys are taking notes, the first significance will be to Paul. And why is this mystery significant to Paul? Well, when you're reading through it, you get to see that Paul is, there's two titles that it looks as if he takes on. First, we already talked about it a little bit and being that prisoner, right? He says, a prisoner of the Lord. 
or of Christ Jesus. And the second one is over in verses 7 and 8, it talks about him being a minister. And he says he preached, so a minister slash preacher is what his other title would be. And so we get to see, well, okay, how does this mystery have to do? What is the significance in Paul's life and, and what has driven him and where he's gone with it? We, we said that, of course, that with being a prisoner, that mystery was what put more or less Paul in that prison cell. And what we look at, if we want to just break it down, and so every time I mention mystery, you guys know what we're talking about. It gives it right there in those scriptures in verse 6. And it says, well, let's read verse 5 so you guys know for sure this is the mystery. It says, In which other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. And here's what the mystery is, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Those are two major things right there that they never even knew about. In the Old Testament, that was never revealed. The church was never, ever revealed to any of the prophets. There's little hints and things, and it talked about Israel was going to be, uh, uh, you know, talking to uh, the Gentiles or, or bringing salvation to them, right? We know that was going to be about the Messiah. That's where it was going to come. But there was no idea of this church of the Gentiles and the Jews becoming one body, not being separated in any way. And then further than that is that the Gentiles were actually going to be partakers of the promises, which is huge. I mean, if you guys know your Old Testament history and know the promises that God gives, it's like, usually we'd be like, no, you can't touch that. You know, don't touch that. You're Gentile. <laughs> That's only for the reserved for the Jews. But he brings us into this family, and now we're co-heirs. We're partakers with them, which is a hard thing for them to hear, but it also, like we talked about last week, it brings them to a jealousy. To see that these Gentiles are able to get in there and get grafted in that tree as well and be a part of that same tree and given off fruit. But it's an awesome thing that he's given us. And so that's what the mystery is. That's why Paul is in prison, and that's why he was a minister and a preacher. That's what he's preaching. And what got him in a lot of trouble, because the thing with the Jews is that they had such a hard time understanding and seeing this that it was a revelation from God is because they were always taught that Gentiles, they considered them back at this time as dogs. Us Gentiles were like dogs to them because we were unclean. And so anything that they would touch or do, anything, and we talked about that a little bit, was that they'd have to go and do a ceremonial wash before they would actually go and glorify their God. Or the God. <laughs> so... You get to see that all their life, all the generations that they're brought up, this is their mentality. There's a lot of pride that comes with being a Jewish uh, uh, person. And so to all of a sudden say that the Gentiles are included in on this doesn't go over very well. Especially when they have Rome, Gentiles, over them and lording their authority over these guys. Not letting them do anything that they want to. Anytime they wanted to do something that was like a crucifixion or anything, they had to run it all through the Romans. They had no freedom in what they're going to end up doing. And so you can imagine just this tension that was there, and all of a sudden this, this truth is brought to them, and it does not look like a truth to them. It looks like some other weird sect is going to bring in this whole other theology and, and try to share gods with them. You know, and, and they, they looked at it as it was blasphemy, and that's why they hated Jesus so much, and, uh, and especially later on Paul. And so... When you look at it and you look at the Jews, you, you can see there's a point in Acts. And we'll go over there real quick just to show you how much these people despised introducing a Gentile in any conversation. So if you go over to Acts 22, and I'll give you a little bit of background before we go into these verses. 
but it's Acts 22, 1 through 21. We're not going to read all of them, but I wanted to go over it and show you guys that this is how these guys felt about Gentiles. What was going on at this time is that um, Paul had come back um, into Jerusalem, and he was going to go into the temple, okay? He'd been told by God he needs to go in there. This is the time also that they said, don't go back to Jerusalem. You're going to get taken away, you know, put in chains, and the uh, Holy Spirit was reeling to them, or to him what was going to happen. Well, anyways, he goes there. He ends up doing a, a, a vow, right, um, just to show that he was. He was like, okay, guys, I'm not anti-Jew. <laughs> I am a Jew. I, I'm not anti. And because that's what they were thinking. If you guys look over in chapter 21, um, say, pick it up in verse 21, it says, but they have been informed about you that you teach. And this is talking about the Jews and one of Paul's people talking to him. He says, but they have been informed about you and that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs. And so that's the idea of what the Jews had of Paul, is that Paul's coming and ambushing their whole way of life. And so they're really afraid of what he had. Well, what happens is that Paul's there, um, he's at the temple, and all of a sudden one of the Jewish guys sees him, or, or the people, the, uh, there's one guy in verse 20, it says, crying out, men of Israel, help, this, man, this is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people. Uh, the law in this place, and furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Tro- uh, Trophimus, the Ephesian, which we're talking about Ephesians, so he brought an Ephesian around with him, with him into the city, and who they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. So they thought that he defiled the temple by bringing this Gentile in there, this Ephesian. And you got to remember that, like, remember we talked about Ephesus, and that's being one of those seven wonders of the world because they had the temple of Diana there. And so they're like, this is a Gentile of all Gentiles with the Jew of all Jews type deal. And so they're really confused here, and they want to just claim that, oh, he's probably brought him into the temple. Because why wouldn't he? He's against us, and he just wants to prove a point. Big mob happens. They want to go and kill him and all this stuff. Well, Rome steps in, and uh, they tell him they can't do that. Well, he's getting taken away uh, off to the barracks in verse 37. And uh, the, the guy that's taking him ends up saying, Hey, are you the Egyptian that stirred up a rebellion? He's like, No, I'm, I'm from uh, Sicilia, a very peaceful place. And he convinces him, and he says, I just want to have some words with these people. And so the guy lets him. And so he turns around, and he talks to the people, and he goes back to the Hebrew tongue. And that's in, verse, in chapter 22, in verse, 20, in verse 1, it says, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And then they heard what he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, and they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia. Sicil- or, what is it? I just lost it. Cilicia, that's what it is. Okay. But brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, taught according to the strictness of our Father's law and was zealous towards God as you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, which he was still there, and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters of the brethren and, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were uh, there to Jerusalem to be punished. And Damascus at that time was quite a ways away. So he's like saying, hey, I went a long ways to even take, bring these people back to Jerusalem. And he goes on talking about just how he's persecuted, how he's zealous. And then Jesus comes to him and says, you know, in verse 7, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In verse 8, so I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And at that time, they didn't get upset as he goes on. And he talks about the conversion that happens. And then you flip the page. I don't know if your Bible... You might not flip the page. I'm going to. Go, and then you go down to 
uh, verse 7, he says, Now it happened, and this is him still going on. They're really intent. They're listening to him. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him saying to me, and speaking of Jesus, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord... They know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then this is where the just, this is, yeah, this is bad right here for those Jews when they heard this. Then he said to them, to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And look what happens in verse 22. And they listened to him until this word and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. It's very interesting because he went through the whole part of Jesus Christ, his whole conversion, and they didn't say anything. Because a lot of times we're, you, know, you think, okay, you don't mention that with the Jews because that's where they start getting really upset. But it was as soon as the Gentiles were mentioned that they flipped out. And that's why it was such a big deal in this mystery that God was doing and what Paul was trying to tell them about. It was not happening very well. And like what I told you guys last week, that you really didn't see any problems in the church until Acts 10 when all of a sudden the Gentiles introduced <laughs> into the church. And it was because it was like, how does this work? Because we figure we have the gospel, right? Like the Jews, they felt like the gospel came through them, so therefore they owned it not knowing that it was definitely the rights of Jesus Christ because it was under a new authority. It was under his authority, his body, that new creation, the church. And they're having a really hard time understanding this mystery. I think it's so neat that God revealed it to Paul to go and explain, this is what God has in store. It's going to be a mix. You know, It's going to be one body. It's going to be the same deal. They're going to partake of the promises as well. Their Messiah is going to be your Messiah. The same thing straight across the board. And so it was a really hard thing for them to understand. That's why they didn't want to have anything to do with it, and they threw Paul into prison. Or he ended up, you know, wanting to go over to and, and plead to people that were higher up, and that's how he ended up over in Rome. But because they wanted to kill him, there was a whole uh, plan uh, to kill him on the road and, and Festus. And you guys can go through the end of Acts there and, and just read throughout the history and see, you know, how exactly he got over there. But with Paul being a prisoner, that was one of the things that the mystery was very significant to Paul because the mystery, in a, in a sense, speaking about the mystery, had put him there. Which is so interesting to me because it's like, we love to see other people come into our church. We love to see other cultures come into our church. We love to minister to other cultures. I mean, we have ministries. You guys look at that wall out there. You know, we have ministries all over. And it's neat to be able to do that. And for us, we don't see that there's a difference. Or at least we shouldn't. But we really don't. And to be at this time and to see that there's such a significance in the difference there that Paul wanted to express to them, look, guys, there's not going to be two different churches. It's not that we're going to go to the Gentiles and then we're going to go set up some churches for them and then the Jews will have their churches. You know, there is no separation. That can't happen. And so there was a very hard time. And, and I mean, it even goes beyond in, in, in the Judaizers that were coming into the church and trying to sway them back into, you know, the Gentiles getting circumcised so that they could fully receive Christ. And it was a big mess. But you can kind of see that it was a very serious thing to them, and they had so much history. And like we talked about last week with God dividing up and having the nations and then calling out um, Abraham and setting apart one nation, right, to represent him. And, and it was a very prideful thing, of course. I mean, it, to be born a Jew is a big deal. 
you're now chosen person of God. And then now you have this New Testament, and it's like, <laughs> you keep your side of the Bible, we'll keep ours. You know, it's kind of their, their mentality. And so, anyways, moving on. Paul goes with those guys, and just as we read in Acts, that he talks about how devoted of a Jew he was. And you guys can also, in Galatians 1, 11 through 24, he goes and talks to them about how devout he was. Uh, Philippians 3, 1 through 11 was another part that shows how devout and it was sad because the whole thing is, is being so devout, you know, you hear that devout word within religion and you think automatically legalism or, or attaining to some law or works by the flesh, being devout in that sense, which is unfortunate that that word has been taken that way and that every time you hear of somebody being devout, automatically you're like, they're into the rule book, you know, into the rules of what they need to do and they probably don't know much about grace when it is a precious word because a devout person is, is just sold out. You know, that's our new word, sold out for Jesus, right? Um, anyways, Paul ends up sending him on. You guys know that, that whole story. I mean, he goes on and, and sends him out to the Gentiles. And we read it here in Ephesians. If you guys want some other verses in Acts 9.15. You guys don't have to turn there, but I'll read it real quick. Acts 9.15. Sorry, I thought it'd be faster. <laughs> it says, but the Lord said to him, the Lord said to Paul, uh, go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. That's one verse. Another one is over in 21, 28 uh, of the same book. And that one says, crying out, men of Israel, this is the man who teaches all men. And we just read through that. Everyone against the people and the law is placed. And furthermore, he's also brought the Greeks in the temple and defiled the holy place. There's so many different scriptures that talk about him being that uh, minister to the Gentiles. And there was one, let me see if I can find it here, because I have a lot of them written down, and I love this one. It was in Romans, I think, 11. Oops, wrong way. Let me see if it's Romans 11, 13. Well, it says, For I speak to you, the Gentiles, and as much as I am apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify... Uh, my ministry, that is not the one I was looking for. 1515 is another one you guys can write down, which is not the other one I wanted either. <laughs> I got to find, there is one of my can, I don't know where it is, and I'm sorry guys, I had it written down and it just talks about how Paul says that I am, I am a minister to the Gentiles and it says Peter is a minister to the circumcision. Which I, I, that verse I found very interesting. I wish I could find it again because it's so interesting that a Gentile church has totally taken over Peter as their mascot and said that he's now to the Gentiles or he, that's where his focus was. When you go back to the church history, Paul, Peter was never to the Gentiles. He was always to the Jews. And all of a sudden make him head over a church that is full of Gentiles. It's kind of contrary to what the scriptures talk about. And I mean, we could, you know... If you guys want to talk about that later, we can. That was just a little side note, and I'm sorry, I thought I had it in here. But going back over to Ephesians, since we've jumped all over the place now. In verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 3, it says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Now this, uh, this verse, is, it's, it's a very big verse, because that word dispensation, that word dispensation is also stewardship. 
And so he's talking about the stewardship that was given him, this thing that was given to Paul as far as like what he's supposed to go and do, this grace that's been given to him and this message he's supposed to be given out. Would you guys agree that maybe we have the same stewardship? I'd hope so, because there's a lot of scriptures that will back that up, and there's a stewardship that we're supposed to uh, adhere to and also be given out. And so Paul has this stewardship to go to the Gentiles and tell them about the salvation, and not just the salvation, but they're also the, a part of the body of God. They have these promises. Now, I, I find it interesting that you have this man that's done the stewardship, and Paul was very much you know, into being a steward of what God had given him. And making sure he was going out there, and he, you know, he talks about their blood's not on his hands anymore, and that he's given them all the, all the whole counsel of God. And it's just over and over again, you get to see Paul, and he's, just, he's being very diligent, and it ends him up in prison, right? Going back to that prisoner. There's somebody else in the Old Testament that also had the same deal with, they were a really good steward, and they ended up in prison as well. You guys remember who it was? Joseph, right? So moral of the story, don't be a good steward or you'll end up in prison. <laughs> Yeah, right. No, we don't know what God's plan is because the thing is, the moral of the story is watch the end of the story. God gives us the end of the story in each one of these person's lives. And you get to see being a steward, it has its hard parts too. But in the end, God's glorified because you get to see in Joseph's life, and that is just an amazing story about how God was glorified and he had it step by step on what he needed Joseph to go through. And he was an awesome steward for that man. And then you get to see Paul's life and it's like, I mean, every day that you guys are going to probably get in your devotions in the morning, most likely, if you're in the New Testament, you're going to read something Paul wrote down by the Holy Spirit. And to have that, that's just an awesome thing in itself. I mean, to have, the, for, you know, have what you allowed God to write down through you for all eternity, and it to be living, and to be powerful, and it's just, it blows your mind what an honor that this man was given, even though he had to spend a little bit of time in prison. It was just a small thing, right? The other part with him and being his, uh, the minister, and what it talks about there in verses 7 and 8, he says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God has given me by the effective, effective working of his power. In verse 8, to me, who am less than the least of the saints, this grace was given me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of, of Christ. And just continue on that stewardship. Yes, it landed him in prison, or that's where it ended up, and that's what God's plan was, is for him to go to Rome and minister to the people there. But also, if you look at it, and he just got to be this awesome calling of being that minister. And I like that word minister because it's not just a teacher, get up in front of everybody and tell them what the Word of God says or, or, you know, go through it with them. That's not just what a minister does. That isn't the only thing. A minister also is somebody that comes alongside others, walks with them, you know, devotes their lives into seeing them get closer to Jesus Christ. And you get to see this man that he's given this super important information I mean, mind-blowing information that's going to totally change the world in this oneness, this new creation, this, this church, God, uh, a bride. And it's such a beautiful picture that you get to see all these things, and guess what? It's given to this guy so he can go and tell everybody about this mystery. He gets to go out and preach this and go and minister to people and bring them alongside this. Pass it on to faithful men, like what he says in 2 Timothy. I mean, just what an awesome honor it is for this man to be able to do that. So that is the significance to Paul. And wow, that time is flying fast, and we got through one. So, <laughs> all right, well, let's get going. Number two, it's significant to the Gentiles, okay? Significant to the Gentiles. And this is in, in 6 through 8, verses 6 through 8. And what we look at is that we see the cross is an awesome deal. And I don't want to take anything away from the cross when I'm saying this. The cross accomplished a lot more than salvation for sinners. Did you guys know that? 
Like we look at the cross and it's an awesome deal. And yes, it brought salvation to those who believe in Jesus Christ. But it also opened up a whole other door and that it brought a oneness. It brought this body. It brought everybody under Jesus Christ as one body. The thing about it is so neat, and we're going to get into this in the second part, but it was such a big mystery that the angels didn't even know about it. And we'll move into that part in the second one, so I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but it's just mind-blowing to me that the cross, it doesn't just stop at salvation. It goes further, and, and, and because of that salvation, because of that power of God, that resurrection that we get to be involved in Jesus Christ and being born in that spirit, now we get to be in that body and in oneness. We get to be together with the Jews. We get to partake with the promises that he's given. And it's awesome. It's like another reason just to praise him and what he did on the cross for us. Then we're fellow heirs. In verse 6, it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. And we talked about this, that inheritance that comes along with it, that, that, that being able to be heirs with Jesus Christ. That privilege that he's given us. What riches we have, right? It is exciting to see what we, what we have in him. So we're fellow heirs, and we're also partakers of his promise, like I've said over and over, and probably beat to death by now. But <laughs> we're partakers of his promise. And, and if you guys want to know the promises, I, I knew I wasn't going to have enough time, so I didn't go and like line out a bunch of the promises. But go back and look. You can go Old Testament, you can go New Testament, and check out these promises. And I want to make sure that you guys understand there still are promises that are for Israel. They really don't apply to us because it talks about the land being given back to them and how they're going to reign. And so those really are. You guys, and it's easy to differentiate as you go through the scriptures. I mean, there are very clear things that you're probably not going to be able to relate with as far as being a Gentile. But what it's talking about is all these promises and all this stuff, the spiritual promises that we get and this overflowing riches that he's given us that are no longer just isolated to the Jewish people. Uh, those that have believed in the salvation, uh, th- that stewardship comes with it, like we talked about. Now, it's interesting, like what Wearsby said, here's what Wearsby said. He said, our human birth determines our racial distinctions, right? But our spiritual birth unites us as members of the same body. And he gets that out of 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. And it's awesome because this world, all they really look at is your birth, <laughs> your racial distinctions. And maybe not so much more in America because we're really, you know, the, uh, celebrate diversity type deal, which you know, I don't want to go too far in that. I think it gets too big, and you guys know what I mean by that. But as far as races and stuff, we've really become this mixing pot, which I think is an awesome thing about America because if you go over to India and you go and check out that place and the whole the whole religious system and... In, 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 uh, with, um, I just drew a blank, it's not Buddhism, Hinduism, um, in the reincarnation, you know, there's the people that are the untouchables, and, and they feel they deserve that place as being untouchable and, and in the, living in the most disgusting places, and everybody treats them that way because they feel in the past life they've deserved that. That's what they work towards. And it's, it's, if you guys go and research, it's a very sad thing. And so if you're born into a family that's an untouchable family, I mean, the rest of your life you have no hope. As far as if you're going to succeed, as far as what the world says, here's what, what hope is. You'll never, ever have that. And it's it, all over the world, you get to see this racism that occurs all over the place. I mean, even in a place that it was so joyful to have Americans, and a lot of places that have Americans, if you know, right next to them, usually in some other country right next to them, they hate those people. Even in Costa Rica, where these people are the sweetest people in the world, they're so nice and everything, they hated Nicaraguans. They hated them. And I was like, everything that went wrong, everybody that stole or, or did drugs or anything, oh, it's an, it's an, they called them Nika, which is N-I-C-A. 
and it's not derogatory. I asked the Nicaraguans if it was, but they, anyways, they said how it's how you use it. If you're if you're Costa Rican using it, yeah, then it's probably derogatory. But <laughs> they were like, "You're a gringo," you know. They call me gringo, which is supposed to be derogatory too. You're a gringo. It's okay. But anyways, so just getting to see this whole thing where every problem was the Nicaraguans, and it's, it seems like you have that in every country. I mean, even the further south here in America, I guess every problem has to do with with uh, uh, you know the Mexicans coming in and. And it's a sad deal, but it's so cool to see in God. And the point being that we are born, yeah, in the physical sense. We're born in some racial family. But when we get born in the Spirit, it's, it's, it's completely open. We're all in one body. We're all brothers and sisters. We get to be that one group. Praise God for that, right? So those that have been in that salvation, it goes on to verse 17. And it says, Of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God uh, given to me by the effective working of his power. And it's going too fast. So when he talks about this, him becoming a minister, you know, it's according to the grace God's given him. We get to talk about that power again, that stewardship that he's been given. The thing is, is when God gives us this stewardship, we walk into Jesus Christ and that salvation, and we're given a stewardship. We're accountable now. But praise God that he gives us the power to be those stewards. Because we have to fall back on that. Because to not have that power to be the stewards is going to be a very hard deal. It's going to be a very scary thing. We're going to let him down for sure. We're going to let ourselves down, and, all, and the enemy comes in and just delivers a bunch of trash lies to us, making us not feel worthy like what God's called us to. And so it's an awesome thing, and we, I was going to go more into that, but I think we already talked about it before, and just that power, that power of the resurrection, that power that he gives us to be those stewards. You guys can go back and refresh your memories from that first chapter and looking at it in verse 19 of chapter 1. And it's so beautiful to see that power that he delivers to us. And you get to understand what that power is because you see it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and us being resurrected in that same way. I'm going to skip some stuff here. <laughs> Let me see here. So, in verse 8, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches. This is something that we've gotten. The unsearchable riches, uh, another word for unsearchable is unfathomable. We're untraceable. Like you can't discover the end. That's what it's talking about. You cannot discover the end of these riches. Which is interesting because a lot of us have felt like we've tapped into it and we're completed in it. And what I mean by that is that I've gone to church so long, and so if I'm hearing the Word of God again, I've already heard this sermon before, so I'm going to kind of check out because I've already done this. Been there, done that, completed that, stamp it. Let's move on to the next thing. I need to go and hear these powerful speakers or, or however it is, and it's unfortunate that some of us have gotten the idea that as soon as God's Word's open, well, we've already been there. And you guys know, I know several of you guys know that it's not just about reading through it as if it's a regular book and getting to the end and saying, okay, I did that. It's that living word. It's always going to do something to us. Maybe we have some speaker that's really boring, you know, and sometimes just says the same thing over and over again because he's trying to rush through. And, <laughs> and then you see that God, the scripture's coming out and you pay attention to those scriptures, not necessarily the person that's speaking and how they're saying it, or what jokes they're coming up with, or, or their facial, or making sure they move around enough, your focus gets right back onto the Word of God whenever that Word is spoken, and you're like, boom, speak to me, Lord. I want to hear something that I haven't heard, or maybe something I need to be corrected in that I've kind of written over. 
And it's that whole neat thing that God, those unsearchable riches of Christ, the guys will never come to the end of them. Never. Like you can't do that. And so it's exciting. Every time that word of God or every time God's going to do a work in somebody else, don't just write it off. You know, if they're going to come tell you a story that maybe you've heard a hundred times, especially maybe it's a new believer and you're like, yeah, yeah, and you kind of overrun them and like, yeah, 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 I know that. I, this other person had the same deal. I know what you're talking about. And it's kind of like, you just made it completely unimportant to them. You know, you got to really be careful, right, Scott? You got that from that, uh, yeah, the, the chaplaincy. And it's a very important thing just to listen and be excited with that person. Be excited about the Word of God being taught and listening to it because his riches are never going to be found. And like the end of them is never going to be found. The, yeah. <laughs> I was going to talk about the least of these when he says that. I'll just give you guys some scriptures real quick. I think it's awesome that Paul says this, but he also, he first said it in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He says, I'm the least of the apostles which is pretty humbling, at least the apostles. Second, he says it right here. He says, I'm the least of all the saints in Ephesians 3.8. And then the last one is, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. The main point being is that any time a man or woman goes into the depths, the truth of God's word, it does not make them have a big head. If they truly understand and they submit themselves to that power of that word, it does not make them have a big head. Instead, what it does, it gives them a broken and contrite heart. And if you look at Paul's life and you look at this, each letter he wrote, these letters actually go in that order. As he got closer to Jesus, he got to see what he looked like. As you draw closer to that light, you're exposed more. And it's not a place of saying, I'm disgusted and you can't have me, Lord, and, like, and going and condemning yourself because of it. It's what Paul does, and he falls down and he just gives him praise. Like, wow, I see even how more, much more filthy I am. And this is Paul, the Jew of all Jews, did everything right, followed all the rules, did all that stuff, wrote all these awesome letters, and here he is saying, I'm the least of everybody. That's powerful. And if the least of everybody can end up doing this and using the power of God, you know what, if he says he's the least, well, then we must be a little bit less than the least, right? <laughs> and that's Paul. So, you know, we got hope right there is what he's trying to encourage us. And uh, I think I'm just going to call it there. I don't want to rush through the next ones because they're, they're just awesome. How he, how he shows the angels and even the demons and how they don't understand. And then the last one will be talking about us and the significance with us and Christians now today. And I'd really like to spend some time on that. I'm sorry I didn't go through. I thought I had enough time, but you know what? Praise God, because, I mean, it's still his word going forth. So um, if you guys want to read ahead and, and, and check out some of those stuff, some of those uh, verses, we're going to try to go through the rest of the chapter next week. And, uh, you know, Lord willing, of course. So let's go ahead and pray for our pastor again. And, and uh, yeah.